Hello there, little masters, and welcome to Season 2 and the new weekly version of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight the good stuff is going to make you see stone giants. Well, West to hell, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the tinder to my flint, Alan Sisto. Hmm. Thank you, Sean, although <laughs> I'm not really sure the narrator's reference to tinder and flint carries the same meaning uh, in today's age of mobile phones. But no. folks, swipe right on the Prancing Pony podcast, okay? Um, tonight we're going to get to get some real thrills and chills as we follow our heroes over hill and under hill. Yeah, there's a lot of great and constructions in this chapter, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting down to some serious word nerding here today. Word nerding. Is that the, the verb form? I thought it might be word nerdering. Mm, uh, could be. Whatever it's called, you're going to be doing this as soon as you can, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I am, because it's time for another installment of Philology Fair. Woohoo! All right. Well, the words I want to geek out on tonight are a couple of similar and possibly related words that should be familiar to every Tolkien reader. Uh, Etten, as in the Etten Moors, Mm -hmm. and Ent. And we actually hinted at this topic back in episode 56 when we talked about the trolls. And Alan, I'm actually going to let you start. You have something that you found on Etten in uh, Anderson's Annotated Hobbit, don't you? I did. And it, it actually comes to us from a note belonging to this very chapter. It's, it's almost like we planned that. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> so note five to chapter four of Anderson's annotated edition has some information about the place called the Etten Moors, or sometimes the Etten Dales, uh, which Bilbo and his friends find themselves in today. And here's the quote from, from Anderson. In his nomenclature of the Lord of the Rings, which as an aside was a document that Tolkien created as a commentary in order to help mm-hmm. translators assign the unenviable task of translating Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Uh, along with all of its very English names for characters and places and creatures. Mm-hmm. That commentary is now available in Hammond and Skull's uh, Reader's Companion. Mm-hmm. But anyway, very, very cool text, resource. Very, very cool thing. It is to, a very cool through, resource. Yeah. Uh, frankly, the whole Reader's Companion is a wonderful it resource. Is. So true. having the nomenclature in there is even more amazing. So in his nomenclature, Tolkien notes in the entry for Ettendales that it is meant to be a common speech name, not an elvish name, mm-hmm. though it contains an obsolete element, Etten or troll or ogre. Um, Old English Aotan, Middle English Etan, is usually translated as giant or monster. Mm -hmm. Now, it's spelled E-T-A-Y-N, Etain. No, I'm sorry, Etain. In the Middle English poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, uh, and that's glossed as ogre or giant in the Mm -hmm. edition that Tolkien edited uh, with E.V. Gordon in 1925. So um, Anderson also points out that Grendel, the monster in Beowulf, is referred to as an Aotan. That's right. And, and that yeah. Old English word, Aotin, is a cognate of uh, the Norse word, Jotun, uh, which oh, means yes. a, a giant, which, you know, a lot of people know from Jotunheim, the, you know, the home of the giants in Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> looking into this word a little deeper, uh, which I promised to do back in episode 56, we, we actually find that there may be a connection between this word, Aotin, and another Old English word for giant, which is Ent. Oh, Yeah. You know, we talked about mm-hmm. that a few episodes back. What was the uh, the old English phrase? Enta Geowark? Uh, yeah, Enta Enta Geowark, Enta Yewark. Um, oh, that's right, Enta Yewark. Yeah, yeah, I think the G is pronounced as a Y. You're right. It's, uh, uh. And it's translated as work of giants. Um, Do you know how much I want to edit that? I want to edit that, but I'm not going to. I, I'll just own up to it. I botched that No, one. you know, Enta hey, I've done it. I've done it. It's it's old English. It's hard, you know. It, yeah. Hey. These, these are hard words to pronounce, and I am not even 100% sure of myself here. So, um, 
we recently found out that we have been saying Ofer mode and it's actually over mode. So, yeah, um, yeah, you know, that was I'm not sure if we had a chance to correct ourselves on that one yet. So, yeah, I don't just think these, uh, anything just on social media, but I don't think in yeah. the show we have. Yeah. So these old English words, you know, we're we're doing our best, folks. So, um, yeah, bear with us. <laughs> and don't hesitate to tell patience. us if we're getting it wrong. Oh, please. Um, but yeah, ente your work, uh, work of giants. Uh, sometimes you see it in the phrase ailed ente your work or orthunk ente your work, which is old work of giants or cunning mm-hmm. work of giants, respectively. Uh, right. And it's a phrase that appears in a lot of old English poems to describe the ancient Roman ruins that were left yeah. in Britain after the Romans left. And uh, we talked about this uh, back in Akalabath, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think so. And, and I think I even used that as a, an opportunity to mention that uh, this word ent in Old English uh, was what inspired Tolkien to invent the race of Ents in Lord of the Rings. That's right. And I actually have a little something on that from one of Tolkien's letters. Oh, cool. In letter 157, he says, as usually with me, they grew, talking about the giants, or I'm sorry, about the Ents, they grew mm-hmm. rather out of their name <laughs> than the other way about. I always felt that something ought to be done about the peculiar Anglo-Saxon word ent for a giant or mighty person of long ago to whom old works were ascribed. That's right. Yeah. And actually, that letter was quoted in the book that I went to for my deeper look. Uh, so, uh, so see, it's like it's all coming together here. Um, yeah, it the, is. There's a book called The Ring of Words, Tolkien and the Oxford English Dictionary, um, which is actually edited by um, a, a, few, uh, a few lexicographers who work for the Old English Dictionary. Um, and it's a book that every Tolkien fan and word nerd should read. Um, mm-hmm. But it's actually got a combined entry for the words ent and etten, and I'll read a little bit of it here. Um, sure. They say, in Old English, there were at least two inherited terms meaning giant, eoten and ent. Um, it goes on to talk about basically all the things we just talked about, Alan. So it talks about Jotunheim and Sir Gawain, and uh, the, then it goes on to talk about the etten moors. And then it says, uh, in the drafts of the first two books of The Lord of the Rings, uh, the region of the etten moors is called the Entish Dales. Or the oh. Entish lands. Fascinating. At this stage of Tolkien's conception, Ent and Etten, E T T E N or E T T I N, are interchangeable, both with a bad sense. Oh. Then, as the concept of Treebeard and his people gradually emerges from earlier hints about tree men or tree giants, the two words part company. This can be hmm. seen in the plot plants. T-bird, 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 is at first a dangerous giant. He's a 57 T-bird. Right. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That's too funny. Oh, man, that's great. T-bird. T-bird. I I, I could just see. I do not know what you're calling me. (laughs) I can just see Ents with leather jackets, you know, just like. (laughs) Slick greased back hair. Greased hair. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> this is. It's, it's bad, but it's so good. Let's keep going. It is. It is. Um, I'm picturing that right now. I wish I was an artist and could draw one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> driving around that's, with the top down. That's you know. very hasty, though, driving a, a, very, a T-bird. Very, very hasty. hasty. But it would, be, it would be very green fuel he'd be using, though. He'd probably be of using course. the biodiesel. Until his daddy took the T-bird away. <laughs> There's your Beach Boys reference right there. <laughs> They're going to have fun, fun, fun until then. <laughs> I had to mute myself. I was laughing so hard there. Oh, yeah. You don't want to blow the mic out there. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so anyway, uh, Treebeard so <laughs> tree is at first a dangerous giant. 
And uh, mm-hmm. you can actually find some of the evidence for this in uh, History of Middle-earth, Volume 7, The Treason of Isengard. Okay. Um, but then is planned to turn out a decent giant. Um, there's oh. a penciled note in there by Tolkien that expresses the difference between trolls, stone inhabited by goblin spirit or stone giants, and the tree folk oh. to which is added oh. in ink, Ents. Wow. You know... Yeah, I really wish cool? we'd found that before we recorded, uh, what, 56. I know, right? Nice before yeah, we recorded the trolls. It's, it's, it's exactly but the you, kind of thing that would have fit in very well does. into our sidebar on the nature of yeah. trolls. But yeah. uh, but that's okay, because it, it'll also fit well into our discussion on the nature of stone giants in this episode. Well, yeah, clearly. And uh, with that, why don't we just go ahead and jump right in? Okay, well, actually, before we do, I have one oh, more little thing that I want to mention. Uh, sorry. <laughs> In episode 55, which just released a few days ago as of this recording, uh, mm-hmm. we were trying to guess how tall Vanderbross Bull Roarer took. <laughs> I really cannot talk tonight, Alan. Bull Roarer took was. I cannot be responsible for that. <laughs> and uh, Alan, you guessed about four and a half feet. Do you remember that? That is correct. I do. In fact, I was listening to that just the other day prepping for our um uh, yeah. our, our Patreon postscript. Our, our postscript. Well, after listening to us fumbling around trying to guess uh, how tall he was, uh, listener Chris B. in Michigan, uh, who wrote in with that uh, that really lovely meditation on the movies that we oh, read yeah. in that same episode, yeah, uh, Chris that. emailed us and reminded us that in the prologue concerning Hobbits to Fellowship, Tolkien actually tells us, according to the Red Book, Vanderbross Took, Bull Roarer, son of Isenbross III, was four foot five and Ooh, able to ride a horse. It. He was surpassed in all Hobbit records only by two famous characters of old. But that curious oh, yes. matter, of course, is dealt with in The Lord of the Rings. That it is. So so there you go. There. We, we didn't have to guess. Uh, we just had to think about it ahead of time and do the research. But still, you were so accurate. Mm-hmm. You, were, you were off by one inch. That is why nobody wants to take me fishing. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, and with that terrible joke, we're going to go ahead and jump Awful. right in. Awful. Yeah, really bad. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the first paragraph and a half of this, and we'll just uh, get right into chapter four, Over Hill and Under Hill. All right, let's do it. There were many paths that led up into those mountains, and many passes over them. But most of the paths were cheats and deceptions, and led nowhere or to bad ends. And most of the passes were infested by evil things and dreadful dangers. The dwarves and the hobbit, helped by the wise advice of Elrond and the knowledge and memory of Gandalf, I have a memory of this place, uh, took the right road <laughs> to the right pass. If, I'm if sure you don't turned, think of that while you're reading that, I'm sorry. It, it's impossible not it's to, impossible the memory not of Gandalf. I mean, yeah. I can just see him turning around to Bilbo. Yeah. When in doubt, Bilbo, always follow always your follow nose. nose. Anyway. Long days after they had climbed out of the valley and left the last homely house miles behind, they were still going up and up and up. It was a hard path and a dangerous path, a crooked way, and a lonely, and a long. Now they could look back over the lands they had left, laid out behind them far below. Far, far away in the west, where things were blue and faint, Bilbo knew there lay his own country of safe and comfortable things, and his little hobbit hole. Of course, we have to, you know, to, <laughs> comfort right there. We've, we've got uh, our mention of comfort right there. Have we, right have we the mentioned that's chapter. an important theme? <laughs> yeah. Because exactly. if we haven't mentioned that now, is probably the time. Yeah. Interesting that most of the paths were just dead ends or, or you know, that yeah. kind of looped themselves back. They, they, they weren't going to get you where you thought they'd go. Yeah. Or, they, or worse, they had something oh, yeah. in them. Well, evil the passes. Things, yeah. Yeah. Um, Infested by evil things and dreadful dangers. Yeah. That's pretty bad. Yeah. 
Uh, the wise I, advice I, of Elrond. I like that. And I, yeah. And I love uh, and I love this. Um, you know, I mean, we talked about in the last chapter. You know how so much of what they got from their stay in in Rivendell was just just mm-hmm. good information. Um, yeah. Remember how how poorly equipped these dwarves were when they <laughs> Very, said that. Yeah. Um, they really they really didn't know what they were doing. And um, no. you know they've 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 been fortunate to have the you know the advice of people like Elrond and and somebody like Gandalf on that on their side. I mean, yeah. That's the other thing that strikes me about this. Um, this phrasing here is the knowledge and memory of Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminded that you know Gandalf is Mithrandir, the Grey Wanderer, oh, yeah. and you know he's a, he's a guy who's been around. He's he's had a he lot has. of traveling experience, and and so that that's really helping them out here. Absolutely. And I guess we see that, don't we? Every time Gandalf disappears, the dwarves are just you know <laughs> they're helpless. They're kind of helpless. And you know, I, I have to say, this is I think another one of those moments where we realize just how much there is behind this uh, in mm-hmm. terms of outside influence. Um, you know, this is—it's it's not just that they were lucky in getting mm-hmm. the advice of Elrond true, yeah. And, yeah. And, and having the, the company of Gandalf, who who happened to have come through here before. You know, mm-hmm. this is all part of that big plan. But um, right. So you yeah, know, why, why else word should luck, you know? Why else should the great and wise you know take interest in? This yeah. band of vagabond dwarves, you know? That's really trying to do something, well, really foolish. Kind and, of foolish, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and not something you think is going to have, you know, geopolitical impact. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be something that would play in the big picture. Right. Though Gandalf, we find out later, of course, Gandalf does think it, it would. Um, in, I don't remember now if it's in the, the version of the tale that's at the end of the appendices in Return of the King or if it's or in the, the one version, that's in the quest for Erebor and unfinished tales. Quest of Air, yeah. Where I he talks remember, about you know, I was the, I was just listening to uh, our our episode on the movies again the other day and uh and we were talking about that too. Yeah. We were talking about the, those Something about those the dragon there. Sauron might use to terrible effect. And that is right. that is a text right out of something. One of those Which versions, makes me yeah. think it's out of the appendices version because uh, Jackson wouldn't because have Because that's license. what Jackson had access to. Exactly. Yeah. He wouldn't have had access, the license to use any text directly from right. Unfinished Tales. So, yeah, that, uh, uh, that, that ability, that, you know, the fact that Gandalf remembered, knew where he'd been, was able to get that information, and that Elrond had provided that advice, definitely more than just convenient luck. Um, yeah. So they did take the right road to the right pass. Mm-hmm. And yet it would, it, it would turn out, as we will see, that it's still going to be dangerous. Yeah. Um, even before they get to the, the high mountains, we're already describing this path in, in pretty negative terms. We've got hard, oh, yeah. dangerous, crooked, lonely, and long. Lonely. This is a, a Lonely really is a, a very interesting road. descriptor. Isn't it? A lonely path. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is trying to get over the mountains. Right. You know? And, and I'm reminded of something else. It's funny. You know, we get this idea that this is where in this, the last homely house, right? The line about the last homely house mm-hmm. tells us that from there west, that's the safe land. And from yeah. there east is the dangerous land. Right. And yet the trolls were to the west. We're still in the <laughs> so safe it's land. Go- yeah. They're in the safe lands. How much worse is it going to get? Um, right. And, yeah. And, you know, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, the trouble was just beginning, really. Exactly. That really was just a sampler. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm picturing, you know, like my weekend run to Costco and would you like a sample of troll? Would you like the, the danger sampler? <laughs> the, the, the danger sampler. <laughs> the shadow. Sauron's shadow cups. sampler. Uh, <laughs> a delicious mix of trolls, goblins. Wargs. Dunlendings, wargs. <laughs> 
Oh, goodness. Um, so this is now a, a real proper adventure, isn't it? But, but what is it yeah. that Bilbo's thinking about? You know, he's thinking about his own country. He's thinking mm-hmm. about his little hobbit hole, the comfortable things. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I love that he he t- he takes this he takes this moment to stop and and look back west, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, uh, as you said, you know, west is the the direction of civilization. West right. is, of course, where Bilbo's home is. But I always, you know, think of the fact that in the back of Tolkien's mind, even though nobody mm-hmm. would have known this in mm-hmm. 1937, 1938, when they're reading this, yeah, but the you know, in Tolkien's mind, he knows west is the direction of elves and the Valar and. Um, and all this enlightenment yeah. that we've talked about in the past. And um, and yet it just, you know, in the sort of the small perspective of a hobbit, it just sort of translates to the simple comforts that he holds so dear yeah. and that he's that he doesn't have here. Absolutely. I kind of love that. But, you know, every every time we look west in Tolkien's world, it's it's always significant. I like that. It yeah. is. You're right. Every single time it is. Even when the wind comes from the west. Remember when we had a couple yeah. of moments in the Silmarillion where we realized that that was uh, significant. So right. uh, now that they're thinking about these uh, homey thoughts, what is it that the text actually tells us there about Bilbo's right. thinking? So I'll take this next paragraph here. The summer is getting on down below, thought Bilbo, and haymaking is going on and picnics. They will be harvesting and blackberrying before we even begin to go down the other side at this rate. And the others were thinking equally gloomy thoughts. Although when they had said goodbye to Elrond in the high hope of a midsummer morning, they had spoken gaily of the passage of the mountains, and of riding swift across the lands beyond. They had thought of coming to the secret door in the lonely mountain, perhaps that very next last moon of autumn. And perhaps it will be Durin's day, they had said. Only Gandalf had shaken his head and said nothing. <laughs> Foolish optimistic dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys have no idea no clue. what you're getting yourselves into. What, yeah. What what lies ahead of you before you get to the mountain? Yeah. You know, Just in, in their over way, these mountains is going to be. Yeah. Very difficult. You know, think back to was it the beginning of chapter three when when Bilbo first sees the Misty Mountains and he says, yeah. "Is that the mountain?" And they say, <laughs> "No, that's not totally not the mountain." No. Um. You know, but in in their way, the dwarves are. More, uh, no more savvy than Bilbo. That's know? exactly right. That's exactly right. And they have the same response that he does. They're thinking the same mm-hmm. negative thoughts. I mean, we seem to be kind of you know bashing Bilbo a little bit for his you know constantly thinking of home, but uh, the, the the dwarves are no better. Right. So, and I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say it's bashing. I, you know, I think well, it's yeah. um, we're just observing. It's he's he's out of his element. You know. Yeah. Um, you have you have to be out of your element before you can learn to be in that element. And that I think, is true. Um, you know, he's just starting out here. That is true. You know, there's a line here about the blackberrying that made me think of. Um, oh, you know what? Though that's a movie line, isn't it? It made me think I, of I was, Sam. Were you thinking at the of the Sam of line, Return of the about, King, about uh, the strawberries and cream and the yeah. But that's a movie line because I think the in the book that's. Um, they're, they're, they talk about strawberries and cream being something that, you know, everybody's partying and enjoying that, that summer of the year after they get back, you know. I, I think you're right, yeah. So, but, but, but it I still reminded right. me that, that of that. Is, that it, it's clear that it did me too. the hobbits totally love, you know, parties and picnics and, you know, just having a good time. And berries. Berries, blackberries, yeah. strawberries. <laughs> Who doesn't? Yeah. You know, sounds good yeah, to me. exactly. I could use a little of that, yeah. but... Um, what else did I see in here? I think 
Oh, you know what? Actually, right before that, there was this passage about the silent seem to dislike being broken. I just wanted Ooh, to point that out. Yes, just because that, that's just a neat. That's a neat expression. That's you know, it makes a, the silence oppressive and, thinking. Yeah. Yes. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about like oppressive darkness before with yeah. uh, with Ungoliant and things like that. This is a, an oppressive silence, and it, it's it's an entity, isn't it? It's, it does it's a seem thing. that way. It really it, does. It seems like a thing with its own will. It doesn't want to be broken. Ooh, goodness, that is. A I good just catch. thought that was neat. That's a good catch. We've got some other stuff here that we're not going to read, but um, that's interesting to observe the fact that Gandalf's knowledge. You know, he's aware of what's going on. He knows that dragons have driven men from the lands. He knows that the goblins have spread. He's fully aware of the risk. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he knew full well that evil and danger had grown and thriven. Now, thriven's not a mm, word I yeah. use. <laughs> I usually would use no, thrive. No, I... But uh, I, I do love that. <laughs> not not in most company, no. <laughs> well, you might use it, you know. That's the... You're the class A word nerd. I'm, I'm only I, I would, slightly below you. I would be the guy who would use it wrong. You know, I'd go That's to a party true. and I'd just... I'd walk up to a group of people and say, so... I, that danger sure has thriven lately, hasn't it? You know, and it's just, <laughs> and then everybody would just, and there, check everybody their just clears out. And, just, <clears throat> you know, I gotta yeah. go. I gotta take this. Yeah, sorry, I got a thing. I got a thing. I gotta do a thing with a person. I get it with the. Yeah, I'll see you later. Just over there. Over yeah, someplace else. Yeah. So you know, he knew Gandalf did that. His plans might go astray because they're past the edge of the wild. They are now in dangerous country. Uh, and indeed, isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. He's a wise enough wizard to know just th- the danger they're in. They are in real danger. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And we're going to find out a little bit of that danger next. I'm going to read the next paragraph. He knew that something unexpected might happen, and he hardly dared to hope that they would pass without fearful adventure over those great tall mountains with lonely peaks and valleys where no king ruled. They did not. All was well until one day they met a thunderstorm. More than a thunderstorm, a a thunder battle. You know how terrific a really big thunderstorm can be down in the land and in a river valley, especially at times when two great thunderstorms meet and clash. More terrible still are thunder and lightning in the mountains at night when storms come up from east and west and make war. The lightning splinters on the peaks and rocks shiver, and great crashes split the air and go rolling and tumbling into every cave and hollow and the darkness is filled with overwhelming noise and sudden light. Bilbo had never seen or imagined anything of the kind. (laughs) I added that last sentence because I thought it really fit. Um, Oh, absolutely. We're supposed to be Bilbo here, right? I mean, that's the character we're identifying. So we need to remember this is something beyond what we have seen or imagined. Uh, Even the tremendous thunderstorms that you probably get in Texas. uh, I was going to say, yeah, because I actually originally thought of it as, you know, Bilbo having been sheltered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bilbo's just lived in a place like, I don't know, like Southern California that oh. has such great weather all the time. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, no, I think you're probably right. I think you're, because we are, you know, we're, we're, we're supposed to inhabit the character yeah. of Bilbo. I think, yeah, I think it is supposed to be, uh, our, beyond our imagination. And certainly the description here is, oh, man. um, it's phenomenal, it's isn't it? I mean. <laughs> You know, such great language used here. You know, yeah. the lightning splinters, the rocks shiver. Um, and even the crashes, crashes, the sound, it splits the air yeah. and it goes rolling and tumbling. A sound goes yeah. rolling and tumbling. Um, yeah. And the overwhelming noise, the sudden light. Yeah. I mean, this is a vivid image. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, 
even this expression thunder battle just has a very Germanic feel to it. Although it does, doesn't it? it I, I know battle is a Latin root word, but still, it's still. It, it just see, it just sounds, you know, it sounds medieval thunder battle. Thunder battle. It sounds like something that you'd see at some, you know, Renaissance festival. You know, we're going to have a thunder yeah. battle at four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to bring your yeah. whatevers. But um, yeah, and it would, of course. Reminds would... me a little of a Rush song, too, actually. The, uh, oh. Jacob's Ladder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The clouds prepare for battle. That's right. Boy, you really pulled that one out of a hat. That, that, <laughs> it took me a little while to reference that in my head. I was um, listening to that album just earlier this week. But... Good man. Good man. Um, yeah, this is quite a storm. This is beyond. Yeah. Know, it, we get some pretty big storms down here, but nothing like you guys get in, uh, in yeah, Texas, I, of I course. I you guys do. I... Uh, no, we just have to deal with earthquakes. Um, right. Going back, there's, there's a line here that I really wanted to touch on, that no king ruled. Now, part of that is oh, yeah. part of the fear of the mountains is that there's no king here. Um, you know, I, I couldn't help but recall in Roast Mutton, just the last chapter, when some of the dwarves talking about these dangerous lands said they have seldom even heard of the king around here, mm-hmm. kind of implying that. that this lack of knowledge of the king or maybe even lack of submission to the king is a bad thing. And we see the same thing in Lord of the Rings. Uh, the hobbits mm-hmm. saying, quote, of wild folk and wicked things such as trolls that they had not heard of the king. For they attributed mm. to the king of old all their essential laws, and usually they kept the laws of free will because they were the rules, as they said, both ancient and just. So, so it's kind of so it's kind of a reference to the fact that uh, this used to be Numenorean country. This yeah, used to be yeah, part of Arnor. Arnor, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this this is a land that has been civilized in the past, and it is not now. That's yeah. It's kind yeah. of an anarchic it, state, you know. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great phrase. Uh, it is. It's just, it's so, um, it's just so full of meaning. You know, there's, there's so much wrapped up in, you know, you get the idea of lawlessness. You get yep. the idea of uncivilized. Uh, you get the idea of you're on your own. Yeah. You're, yeah. You You've know, got nothing to, it, to protect it, you. It, no, nobody to call yeah, on. Yeah, nothing to protect you. There's no recourse. You're not going to be able to take somebody to court or, you know, take them before some, <laughs> no. some higher authority to arbitrate no. some issue. Yeah. Um, you're, you're just you're going on to be eaten. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> by an Etten. <laughs> Ooh, nicely done. Eaten by an Etten. Um, Some wordplay. Yeah. The, uh, it, it, this is an interesting thing, and I really wanted to point it out because I think for for a lot of our listeners, you know, what, about two-thirds of our audience is, is here in America, uh, you know, we don't think of kings as necessarily a good thing. <laughs> you know, we, That's true. We, uh, you know, we, we come from a nation that said we don't want a king. Uh, we want right. a president. We want, uh, you know, representation. So, you know, to think of the king as being kind of an indication of, of decency, of, of civilization, like you said, of, uh, of the rule of law, uh, it's really important to kind of point that out, I think. But, yeah, uh, now that's a good catch because yeah. it is a – it's a bit contrary to yeah. the usual American, you know, sympathies. A, and, a, lot of, um, a lot of Tolkien is, though. You know, we, we get a lot of yeah. this – you know how we've observed that, that fellowship and community is really important – and we're about as individualistic yeah. a culture as there is. That's true. Uh, yeah. That's and and true. in a good way for the most part. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it does have its drawbacks. Well, but so. that's what's great about Tolkien is that yeah. it, it, it balances. It really does. Um, it balances so much of our modern tendencies. And that's, that you, are, got, you hit it on the head right there. It's modern. It's a modern mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his yep. worldview and his uh, creation is very, very medieval. Uh, and that's a yeah. very different value I mean, set. The, the, just the title of the last book of the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> being ret- the Return, Return of, the, of king. the King, you know that is uh, that is a very uh, um, you know 
there's obviously some apocalyptic undertones sure. or overtones to that, but you know, but still, that is about the restoration of a monarchy and yeah. how that makes the world a better place. A better you know? place. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but obviously, you know, we we see we see the essential truth of that, even if we do not live in a monarchy ourselves. Exactly. Now, before we have but, you uh, read Thorin's next lines, there's a, there's the paragraph that we want to touch on and go d- pretty deep into. Uh, is this fight yes. between the stone giants. They're hurling rocks. Yeah. They're catching them. They're throwing them into the dark. They're smashing them among the trees. Um, they're guffawing and shouting. Okay, yeah. stone giants. Now, we started our show today with that philology segment on philology. Hey, I said philology, so now i got to do this. Okay, so we started our show today with that philology nice. segment on toys. Don't give me toys I love and that tell music. me not I to listen to it all day. You know, it's great. I'll just put it on loop for you. Um, you know, with that segment on on the words for trolls and giants, which referenced the mm-hmm. the note in Anderson's annotated Hobbit. Now that note was actually in reference to this passage, but we saved the part that was relevant to this passage for this part of our mm-hmm. discussion. Anderson says specifically, the stone giants are mentioned only in the Hobbit. It seems probable that they can be interpreted as a type of troll. Both are large and apparently malicious beings, and in Appendix F of The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien mentions as a type of troll the stone trolls of the Westlands, who spoke a debased form of the common speech. And this description certainly applies to good old Bert, Tom, and Will. Um, (laughs) Debased form, indeed. Debased, indeed. (laughs) It's not drawing room fashion at all, at all. And Bill's purse. Let's not forget Bill's (laughs) purse. Thank you. Yeah, who are you? <laughs> well done. So um, Anderson seems to think that these stone giants are, you're welcome, potentially the same creatures that we just saw in Chapter 2, but that Tolkien's using a different name for them, or that if they're not exactly the same, they're related in terms of origin and nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think and I think that is possible, um, you know, certainly given the etymological connection right, that we right. discussed in that earlier segment. I do kind of wonder if, if they were meant to be exactly the same creature, then why would Tolkien use yeah. a different name yeah. for the same creature in the same book just a few pages later and then not <laughs> explain, you know, that it's the same creature? Um, but, but, you know, there's certainly, there's certainly the, the likelihood of some kind of connection. Um, this is a place where, unfortunately, Ratliff's research doesn't give us much of an answer either. No. Uh, looking in the history of The Hobbit, there actually is, uh, you know, he's got those essays that are between mm-hmm. uh, manuscript segments, and right. uh, one of those is on the giants. And he starts that essay by saying, If the goblins open up a vast array of questions, the giants, glimpsed from a distance during the crossing of the Misty Mountains, remain on the fringes of the story. Mm-hmm. And, boy, truer words were never spoken. Yeah. Um, he he points that he points out that you know despite what Anderson says actually giants occur in several of Tolkien's works mm-hmm. uh, but we never learn a great deal about them. Um, Almost Ratliff, nothing. Really. Uh, mentioned, oh, nothing. Yeah, R- Ratliff mentions that there are some references to giants in uh, the Tale of Tenuviel, in the Book of Lost Tales, uh, which admittedly is probably too early, you know, to to count. Yeah. I mean, we. Yeah. We generally kind of consider that one sort of a, a rough draft that's superseded by later stuff. Right. But there are also giants in The Lay of Lathian, mm-hmm. which uh, we've discussed was written just prior to right. when Tolkien started work on The Hobbit. Um, and we talked earlier about how Treebeard started out as a giant, yeah. even you yeah. know as late as a the composition giant. of Lord yeah. of the Rings. So there definitely were giants somewhere in Tolkien's mind as he's writing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that they necessarily have to be the same thing as trolls, although 
maybe based on some of the the philological (laughs) stuff we discussed (laughs) earlier, uh, maybe trolls were to be considered a type of giant. Maybe giants are. That's kind of what I'm, you know, like a subtype. Yeah, like a, a, right, exactly. Giants are this wide ranging class of not necessarily related creatures and trolls are a subset of that. Right. Um, and, you know, it, it, some of the stuff we talked about earlier even suggests that maybe he was thinking of trolls as stone giants mm-hmm. and Ents were tree giants or wood giants or something like that. Oh, okay, like elemental um, giants of at, some sort. Yeah, 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 something like that. I mean, as to whether or not that's where he landed on it, we just don't know. But that does, no. that does seem to have been the case at some point. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think about that. There's... A type of giant, um, I, I, that seems to be a better fit for me. I mean, that you know, philologically they're related. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe we need to do a Venn diagram like we did for the wolves, werewolves, and wolves. For wolves and werewolves, and yeah, we could do it for the giants. Yeah. But but one thing seems to be clear: there really are actual giants. Now, I, I say that because we've seen it suggested that maybe Bilbo was seeing an optical illusion, or his mind was playing tricks on him, and that there are no giants in Tolkien's world. But Oh, we yeah, can really, yeah. really rule that out. I mean, not only does Thorin refer to giants directly in the next passage that you're going to read, um, and Gandalf mm-hmm. talks about later on getting a more or less decent giant to block the entrance to the Goblin Cave later in uh, in Chapter Six, I think. That's right. Yeah, and 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 I think you you mo- you mentioned that you know he doesn't just see it; he hears noises and things like that. Yeah. He hears guffawing. Um, so I agree. I, I definitely think there's something there. Um, and I just think you know really. Uh, Tolkien himself wasn't quite sure, you know, what giants were mm-hmm. or what was a giant and what wasn't uh, right up until the point when he invented Treebeard. Yeah. Um, and called Treebeard a decent giant in the plot sketch of Lord of the Rings. So Gandalf's going to have um, a hard time getting Treebeard to come all the way up here, though. <laughs> he's going to have to find yeah, a, that a local true. decent he, giant. He's going to have to find another decent giant, a, a local decent giant. Hey, Treebeard, check your LinkedIn. Of, Do you have anybody up here? One of the, <laughs> Does anybody know a decent giant he's, in, he's the, gonna look up on Yelp. in the 06 zip code? He's looking up on Yelp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Looking for, oh, no. A tree, I know, I got this guy Treebeard down in Fangorn, but he doesn't come north of the. Yeah, no, never that river. far. <laughs> Whichever river. I don't have my map in front of me. <laughs> but. So, you know, I, I have to say there's, there is a, a passage earlier about uh, the boulders coming galloping down the mountainsides, and then we see that here again with the, the rocks being hurled. Um, mm. This was, was something where – this was really based on something that happened in Tolkien's actual life. And I wanted to reference this because I thought it was a really fascinating oh, thing. Yeah. Uh, it comes to us out of letter 306, which he wrote to his oldest son, Michael. Uh, and he even says to him specifically that Bilbo's journey is based on his adventures in Switzerland in 1911. Um, he talks about a group of 12 that he was with, including his brother, uh, strung out single file going up a glacier in Switzerland. And here's the quote from the letter. The summer of that year had melted away much snow and stones and boulders were exposed that I suppose were normally covered. The heat of the day continued the melting and we were alarmed to see many of them starting to roll down the slope at gathering speed. Anything from the size of oranges to large footballs, and a few much larger. They were whizzing across our path and plunging into the ravine. They started slowly and then usually held a straight line of descent, but the path was rough, and one had also to keep an eye on one's feet. I remember the member of the party just in front of me, an elderly schoolmistress, gave a sudden squeak and jumped forward as a large lump of rock shot between us, about a foot at most (laughs) before my unmanly knees. (laughs) 
Uh, I can't even imagine that sort of an experience. Wow. Uh, kind of dangerous. I do remember. I do remember reading that. Yeah, that, that had to be scary. That had to be very scary, uh, yeah, especially for that poor elderly schoolmistress. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, we're talking pretty sizable rocks. I mean, even a, a, yeah. an orange-sized rock coming all the way down the glacier at you. That's gonna that's gonna leave a mark if uh, if that hits you. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Now that's probably more related to the passage we read earlier because that's actually they're described as being let loose by midday sun upon the snow. Um, but I just <laughs> it came to mind because we were thinking well, about these rocks sure, being hurled yeah. at each other, so it made me think of the yeah the yeah. danger. I think it's I think it's definitely you know appropriate to the to the scene and yeah. and I'm thinking. Back to this line about how Bilbo had never seen or imagined anything of the kind. I can imagine, you know, young uh, J.R.R. seeing this for the first time. And yeah, um, well, the fact that he refers to his unmanly knees, I can just, uh, yeah, that suggests that a little maybe fear, there was some some quivering quaking, and crying yeah. involved there. I bet. Oh man, I mean, 1911. So he's you know he's fairly young at this point. Um, he yeah, he would have been 19. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, it was the summer of. Might have still, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't a child, but he was still right, a young enough man that he hadn't seen a lot he, of things. He, 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 was still a, he was still a pup, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's about right. So Thorin doesn't like these giants any more that's than Bilbo. Great. What does he have to do to say or, you know, what's no. his plan? All right. This won't do at all, said Thorin. If we don't get blown off or drowned or struck by lightning, we shall be picked up by some giant and kicked sky high for the football. Well, if you know of anywhere better, take us there, said Gandalf, who was feeling very grumpy and was far from happy about the giants himself. The end of their argument was that they sent Feely and Keeley to look for a better shelter. Why do you send the hot dwarves to look for a better shelter? Why send the hot dwarves? (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why. (laughs) Ah, there you go. They had very sharp eyes, and they weren't just dreamy to look at. I was going to say, some might say dreamy, but... (laughs) You could get lost in those eyes. Uh, Let me start that paragraph over again. again. Um, The end of their argument was that they sent Feely and Keely to look for a better shelter. They had very sharp eyes, and being the youngest of the dwarves by some 50 years, they usually got these sort of jobs when everybody could see that it was absolutely no use sending Bilbo. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) There is nothing like looking if you want to find something, or so Thorin said to the young dwarves. You you certainly usually find something if you look, but it is not always quite the something you are after. So it proved on this occasion. Soon, Feely and Keely came crawling back, holding on to the rocks in the wind. We have found a dry cave, they said. Not far around the next corner, and ponies and all could get inside. Have you thoroughly explored it? said the wizard, who knew that caves up in the mountains were seldom unoccupied. Yes, yes, they said, though everybody knew they could not have been long about it. They had come back too quick. It isn't all that big, and it does not go far back. Well, that was their problem. They should have just hung out there and, like, you know, played a game of cards. And <laughs> Yeah, we fully explored that cave, man, I'm telling you. Um, that would have been smart. That would have been, but, but they were the youngest dwarves, so you know. Now I think I get why why people think they were the hot dwarves. They were the youngest of the dwarves by fifty years. By fifty years, in other words, that, yeah, they that's... only looked good because of who they were with. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, you and I would look good in a room if we were hanging out with a bunch of eighty year olds. 
Yeah, that's that's, tr- good. that's true. We're going to look true. like the, the hot dwarves. And that's that saying point. something. And that, that really is really saying something. Saying something. <laughs> I mean, that's a stretch, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except for Balin. Balin aged very, very well. well. Like a fine Balin wine. Is, Balin is a fine cheese. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, some great stuff here. I love the line about there's nothing like looking if you want to find something. Uh, that's a isn't that cool? A that, that's, a, that's a neat little bit of wisdom. Yeah, it is. You know? It really is. It's it's not always what you were looking for, but you you'll find you'll something. find something. I like that. That's true. Uh, good good stuff. And then Gandalf's we got <clears throat> we got Thorin's football comment. Yeah yeah. So he obviously saw the 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 giants, and Gandalf did as well. Yeah. He's feeling grumpy and far from happy about the giants himself. Yeah. Uh, you know why doesn't he do something about it? I mean he is a wizard after all, but you know. He's not that kind of wizard. Well, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not that kind of wizard. He's not going to cast spells and knock the giants down from their perches. Delayed blast fireball. Delayed blast fireball. There you go. That's exactly what you need. Oh, man. So, yeah. you know, but his wisdom. No, it's, it's interesting. We get another bit of his wisdom. Yeah. You know, he knows that caves up here are seldom unoccupied. Yeah, what a you know, rare again, treasure that is, you know. I mean, he's. He's traveled. You even know, if it's he, not and, a goblin, even if it's just a, a wolf or a bear. I mean, there are going to be creatures yeah, who are true. taking shelter in a storm and away from the storm giants um, in the in the mountains, in the caves, I should say. Yeah. And the odds of it being truly unoccupied are pretty slim. Yeah. Yeah. So, and sure there's enough. There's almost a, do, do you, I, I almost feel like there's, not quite, you know, you know yeah. I almost feel like there's almost a fourth wall break with uh, this next line, this, the dangerous part about caves. Oh yeah, that is. You know, you don't, you don't know how far they go back sometimes. It's certainly a kind of a nudge at the fourth wall. It is a nudge at the fourth wall. He, I mean, he's clearly talking to the reader, you know, that of course, yeah. especially that of course part. That's kind of like, uh, uh, it made yeah, me think exactly. of, that is like, of course well, absurd. You know, he's, he's telling right. you. This this is an, a, an obvious thing, and if it if you don't know that it's obvious, I'm going to tell you that it's obvious. So you say, "Oh, that's right. obvious." <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, because of and course, like the that. children who are reading this may not know that that's the dangerous part about caves. Um, so he's that's just trying true. to tell that's them true. that you know, if you were older and had world you know worldly experience, you would know, of course, that right. this is the dangerous part. So that's a that's a good point. Yeah. So he's he's kind of using it's it's kind of a teachable moment. Yeah. For- for the for young the audience, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the youth of that are reading his book, um, and he's he's right. You know, you don't know how far the cave goes back, uh, especially if you're talking about smaller creatures that might live in there. Um, mm-hmm. A bear certainly needs a pretty big, wide passage, but wouldn't be surprised if uh, you know wolves might not need as big a space. Um, right. Uh, you, you just never know what's in there. So. But, you know, right. they had really no other choice. What are they going to do? Stay outside and get hit by a, a rock thrown by the giants? I mean, they're just right. they're going to yeah. go in there, even if they it's don't It's true, know. yeah. And, and, and it even says, you know, they're, well, for now, their news seemed good enough. Yeah, you know, good it's, enough. It's like, okay, it's something. Exactly. Let's go, let's go there. Yeah. So they get in, and it's it's a little bit uh, a little bit tight. You know, they got to get the, the ponies through. Uh, they had to take off the packs and saddles to get them through. So it's, it was a, a slightly, you know, low arch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, once they're inside, they're they're pretty pleased. You know, they're out of the wind. They're out of the rain. They don't seem to be in danger of the, the storm giants anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And Gandalf does his little, you know, uh, lighting the match at the top of his wand. Yeah, his little wand you know, trick where he there. blows the, from the movie. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, I, always, I always thought that was a cool effect. It was a nice little touch. You know, you wonder if that was directed or something that uh, Ian McKellen decided he'd, you know, throw out there. Yeah. Um, but so they went ahead and explored it. And sure enough. I'll go ahead and read the next little bit. 
It seemed quite a fair size, but not too large and mysterious. It had a dry floor and some comfortable nooks. At one end, there was room for the ponies, and there they stood, mighty glad of the change, steaming and champing in their nosebags. Owen and Glowen wanted to light a fire at the door to dry their clothes, but Gandalf would not hear of it. So they spread out their wet things on the floor and got dry ones out of their bundles. Then they made their blankets comfortable, got out their pipes and blew smoke... Okay, hold on. They got out their pipes and blew smoke rings, which means they lit matches, or whatever, not matches, but yeah. tinder and flint, I guess. Uh, but they weren't yeah. allowed to light a fire to dry their clothes. Mm. Well, I, I'm... I mean, I think, you know, you could light a pipe, but that's you, true. you have smaller, a pretty fire. small flame inside a pipe bowl. and you know, That's like, true. It wouldn't necessarily be something you would see from a campfire like at the door. Fire. Right. Yeah, like a big campfire okay. right at the door. That would be something yeah, yeah. wargs and goblins would see for miles oh, around. definitely. So this is basically like a dwarf slumber party. They, you know, they're... Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Gandalf... Oh, they're having a grand old time oh, they're here. big old time. So <laughs> we'll get back to the rest of the paragraph. Uh, they blew smoke rings, which Gandalf turned into different colors and set dancing up by the roof to amuse them. They talked and talked and braided each other's hair. No, I'm sorry. And forgot about the storm <laughs> and discussed what each would do with his share of the treasure when they got it, which at the moment did not seem so impossible. And so they dropped off to sleep one by one. And that was the last time that they used the ponies, packages, baggages, tools, and paraphernalia that they had brought with them. Yeah. Boy, there's a, there's a lot in that paragraph. There is. There really is a oh. lot to unpack. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, the the... the Description of the cave itself, fair size, mm -hmm. but, you know, not too big. Dry floor, comfortable nooks. Yeah. So you got the ponies I, at one I, I think it's important that it's a dry floor. Yes, uh, yes. Remember, if that faintly recalls the description of Bilbo's hole as not a nasty, was it not a nasty, dirty, wet hole? Um, this one is oh, yeah. also not a wet hole. So, you know, it's it's homey enough for a yeah. hobbit, for at least in the current situation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, this is a sandy bear hole with nothing to sit down on or... So, right. But it's definitely not a hobbit hole, but it is at least not a, a wet floor, which is important. Right, yeah. Um, ponies over on the side, they're, um, they're sitting there, their breath steaming and champing mm -hmm. at their food. Uh, yeah. Owen and Glowen, who failed to light a fire earlier, um, want to show that they can <laughs> still do the task. Uh, Gandalf says no. Um, I love that they made their blankets comfortable. This is, you know, they're getting snugged up in, yeah. in bed. They're getting ready to, to, to sleep. They're exhausted. I can't even imagine yeah. how exhausted they are. Oh, and, yeah, for And sure. for once, you know, the, probably the first time since they left uh, the homely house, you know, a week or two ago, here they are actually in, in they've shelter. Got some, they've got some good shelter. And, yeah. You know, but then they get too comfortable, don't they? They do. They don't set up a watch. Mm. Um, nope. they, they have a little fun with Gandalf. He turns their smoke rings into colors and... You know, it's a little entertainment time. They talked Can't blame and talked. Them for having a little fun. No, of course talking not. Talking and talking, which means it's going on for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Late into the night, you know, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, far enough that they forgot about they, the storm. They forgot. You know, they, that's interesting because remember the storm was why they were in the cave yeah, in the first place. Yeah, yeah, You know. But you, that's You think okay. they would be watching the storm and thinking. When does this thing know, okay, end we so we can you... move forward if we. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And then they do what well, they did what I kind of do whenever I see the lottery get into some really ridiculous amount. They start discussing what they're going to do with their yeah. share of the treasure. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Disclaimer, I never actually buy a ticket, but I'll spend half an hour on the freeway thinking about what I'd spend the Just money on. Just thinking about it. Yeah, spend, <laughs> spending that, that, that jackpot you'll never get. Yeah, spending the treasure they haven't even won yet. That's a classic. That of, is so uh, – that That's so a classic of wish fulfillment. Boy, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, and it, it all sounds – it sounds great. You know, it sounds like they're having a good time. It sounds like – 
exactly the kind of adventure Bilbo really thought he yeah, was getting yeah. when he left his door. But but really what's happening here is they're getting careless. They are. They don't you know, set a watch. They're letting their guard down. That's and, the and biggest really, thing. really, they kind of deserve what's about to happen to them, don't they? Well, yeah. I mean, it certainly, I, yeah, I don't harsh. know how good. I know it's harsh, but I mean, yeah. but they're just not, they're just not paying attention, you know? Yeah. And you wonder they if, they had, if they had put a guard up, uh, whether that would have mm-hmm. been, you know, how, how much earlier this could have been stopped. Uh, yeah. By the yeah, time, exactly. as we're about to see, it doesn't really get stopped in time. But uh, why don't you go ahead and take right. that next, you know, paragraph in a bit. But before I do, I want sure. to point out one more thing in that last sentence. Um, the last time that they had used the, the ponies, the ponies packages. packages, baggages, tools, and paraphernalia that they had brought with them, yeah. um, a lot of people uh, wonder what happened to the musical instruments. Yeah, yeah. This, this would be uh, where they people went. People sometimes think if they made it that, this far. Exactly, yeah. People sometimes say, oh, maybe they left them in Bilbo's hole because we never see them again. I, I think they had them on the ponies and they yep. disappeared into a goblin cave. Yep. I think. I think paraphernalia certainly includes harps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Almost certainly. <laughs> I can look that Just up. Wanted to throw paraphernalia. That Does that include harps? Paraphernalia. Yeah, exactly. It's, Vials it's, it's right as there big in the as themselves. A yeah. drum. Certainly flutes. And harps. Golden harps. Yes, yes. All fall under And root harps. We should do a paraphernalia uh, Venn diagram also. <laughs> that would be one very large circle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Well, now I'll take this next passage. All right. Sounds good. It turned out a good thing that night that they had brought little Bilbo with him, after all. For somehow, he could not go to sleep for a long while. And when he did sleep, he had very nasty dreams. He dreamed that a crack in the wall at the back of the cave got bigger and bigger, and opened wider and wider. And he was very afraid, but could not call out or do anything but lie and look. Then he dreamed that the floor of the cave was giving way, and he was slipping, beginning to fall down, down, goodness knows where to. At that, he woke up with a horrible start and found that part of his dream was true. A crack had opened at the back of the cave and was already a wide passage. He was just in time to see the last of the pony's tails disappearing into it. Well, that's barely just in time. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't call that just in time, but uh, yeah. No, I'd call that a moment too late. <laughs> that would be. Uh, we, we're not reading that, but he does yell next, which is apparently rather loud for the size of a hobbit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and his and his first first actual contribution to the company. Yeah, isn't that? That's what I was yeah. going to say. He's He's got this, you know, he, he kind of blew it with the trolls, you know, uh, going yeah, beyond, uh, beyond his job description and causing all sorts of danger. Um, but, you know, it yeah. turned out a good thing that they had brought him with him with them. Yeah. Uh, his his yeah. dream ends up being what saves them a little bit um, because, again, though we're not going to read it, we find out that his yell had uh, woke Gandalf and he was able mm-hmm. to uh, at least do something. He, We, we see mm-hmm. that there's a terrific flash like lightning, a smell of gunpowder, uh, and several mm-hmm. of the orcs or goblins, I should say, fell dead. Uh, and we'll find out later that you know Gandalf was obviously able to get away. But uh, in the meantime, they have been captured. Uh, mm-hmm. Big old goblins. I love the description. Big, great, ugly-looking lots. Uh, six to a dwarf and even two for Bilbo. And here's where we got that Tinder and Flint <laughs> joke, apparently, that they all came in and, and carried them off through the crack before he could say Tinder and Flint. Um, I love that. I, I love the Tinder and Flint and the rocks and blocks. I just, I don't know. It's, rocks and blocks. They're just little yeah. fun little fun little phrases that I agree. really distract from the terror of the scene. Exactly. You know, and very much the captured. kind of thing he does when it comes to these scary moments. He tries to find mm-hmm. a way to make them a little bit less threatening to, to the yeah. young reader. 
Um, yep. Even though, you know, this is a pretty bad situation. Um, I would say a, a very bad situation, a actually. Very, a very bad situation. Uh, yeah. But interesting how the movie adapted this to turn into the, the floor opening up like it did in his dream, when in the book it's just the, the back of the cave opening up with a crack. Certainly mm-hmm. a little more practical. Right. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, a little bit here. I'm going to read right up to the beginning of the poetry, and that is where we're going to end our discussion for tonight. Uh, right. So, they seized Bilbo and the dwarves and hurried them along. It was deep, deep dark such as only goblins that have taken to living in the heart of the mountains can see through. The passages there were crossed and tangled in all directions, but the goblins knew their way, as well as you do, to the nearest post office. And the way went down and down, and it was most horribly stuffy. The goblins were very rough, and pinched unmercifully, and chuckled and laughed in their horrible stony voices. And Bilbo was more unhappy even than when the troll had picked him up by his toes. He wished again and again for his nice bright hobbit hole, not for the last time. Now there came a glimmer of a red light before them. The goblins began to sing or croak, keeping time with the flap of their flat feet on the stone and shaking their prisoners as well. And we'll have to leave it off there, but um, my goodness, such vivid descriptions here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the darkness, the deep, deep dark, and that only a goblin who'd, who'd taken to living in the heart of the mountain could see through. It's that dark. Um, and yet the goblins knew their way. And here's yeah. another one of those references, right? This is kind of like, uh, this isn't as humorous maybe as Rocks and Blocks or Tinder and Flint, but, you know, it's another one of these nods to the audience, a breaking of the fourth wall. The, mm-hmm. the, they know their way like you do to the nearest post office. Yeah, exactly. I, I, think, I think that's cool for a couple of reasons. Uh, the fourth wall break, but also... Um, you know, you think about it, um, because I love to just dig deep on some of these word choices, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. why this image, you know, right. uh, post offices are, you know, they're kind of a civilizing fact. Well, very much yeah, a civilizing very. factor, you know, um, we use them to organize our mail, organize our neighborhoods, you know, we, yep. um, we even think of, um, certainly in the United States, we think of postal codes as a physical area, you know, oh, yeah. um, post offices are a way that we organize and civilize ourselves, but goblins we're told are at home in these crossed and tangled tunnels you know they're yeah. they're disorderly people who are at mm-hmm. home in a disorderly space and i think that's uh that says a lot a lot about them i think it does and i think it tells a lot about you that that's what you caught from it because for me <laughs> i was reminded of the line in the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy when they when he's talking about space is big really big mind-blowingly big you may think it's a long way down the street to the chemist but that's peanuts to space Nice. So I was thinking of the chemist. That's awesome. Which, of course, is a pharmacy. <laughs> I think when I first yes. read that, yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe 14. What? Really? What in the world is a chemist? Street? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing some guy in a white lab coat with some test tubes. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but that's what it made me think. Of course, you know, you know the way down there. And, and, mm-hmm. and you might think that's a long way, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most horribly stuffy. Just, just another another way that this world, you know, this world just kind of leaps off the page and just becomes um, it really does. so much more than anything that we know, you know? Yeah, yeah, that is true. This is beyond our experience. And he's, he's trying mm-hmm. to reference a little bit of our experience. That's why the right. post office line is there. But to show us that this is beyond, you know, this is, this is something that we can't experience this, like, you know, like the goblins do. The goblins know their way, but you could never find your way. Uh, right. And, of course, they were, you know, the, the air was miserable, you know, horribly stuffy. The goblins were rough. Uh, I thought it was funny that their voices are described as stony. 
I mean, there's nothing to link yeah. them with the stone giants or the trolls, but uh, it certainly seems to tie them together a little bit. Um, you know, I I, I want to say, you remember in Morgoth's Ring, there's that there's that whole series of essays on the origins of orcs, and yeah. I think yeah, I, never really I think at one point anywhere. very early on, I I think he abandoned it really early, but I think maybe somewhere in maybe the Book of Lost Tales, mm-hmm. I think um, he thought they might have a, a stone. Some they might have sort of origin. an affinity. They, they might have come from stone or something like that. I, I okay. think. I don't know. Like I an animated sort of. One. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many different origins for orcs. In that, yeah, they, uh, there are. And and it, and I want to be really clear. I mean, if this was ever, if he ever associated them with stone, it was really, really early. So yeah. it probably would have been something that he was already getting over by the time oh, he, he would have abandoned. Hobbit, but yeah. 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 Uh, and then, of course, we get Bilbo wishing again and again. For his nice bright hobbit yeah. hole, and not for the last yeah. time, and not, not for, for the, the first last time. time. His ni- nice, how many nice times bright. is that by now? Is this at least the third time that we get him wishing for his nice hobbit hole? It's it's at least the third, and it might be the fourth. Yeah, That's, yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah. Really, it's, it's not nice surprising. Hobbit hole, you know. Yes, <laughs> because it's always opposite of what it's in, right? I mean, the, the wishing. Yeah. I think if we look back, you know, here he's in darkness, and so he's wishing for the brightness. Um, right. Uh, in in roast mutton bother burgling. I wish I was at home in my nice hole by the fire with a kettle beginning to sing. That's in the middle of rain. Uh, mm. It's tea time or it's after tea time and they haven't had food, but he wants the tea boiling. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's very much, you know, whatever they're in, they want he's the opposite. He's always wishing for the opposite of whatever horrible experience he's in, he's in yeah, which right. is not unreasonable. Which is reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what I do. Uh, yeah. It's just a, 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 and that's a reminder, I think, that we identify with this character. That if you were here, you would be wishing for your comfortable home. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, very much so. And then we get that really cool little hint of what's coming, the glimmer of red light, mm-hmm. and then the the beginning of the song, which we'll get to next time. Um, yeah. But for now, you know, that was a great discussion. And, folks, we really want to encourage you, please join us again next week when we finish up this chapter. A big thanks to our Patreon family who has made it possible for us to release these episodes weekly. That's right. And you really are going to want to tune in next time so that you can see what happens when you bring an ancient elvish sword to a goblin fight. (laughs) That's not a knife. That's a knife. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Now, before we see what Barlaman has for us, we want to take a minute to ask you to consider joining our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod if we've earned your support. Sean and I each sink several hours, uh, I don't know, six or eight. And it used to be 10 when we were doing tour yeah, and, something like that, yeah. Uh, into each and every episode. And we really are happy to do it, but we're really grateful for the resources you provide. It's thanks to our Patreon family that we've been able to move to weekly episodes, but we have another big goal that's quite a ways off, and we're just a little over halfway there. Mm-hmm. And of course, we have some really cool rewards, too, like exclusive content. In fact, one of the bits of exclusive content that our patrons have access to is a 10 to 15 minute postscript to each yeah. episode. That's about um, right. We record episodes a couple of, what was that? I said, that's about right. 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right around 10, you know. I think we started um, with five to 10 and it's become right. closer yeah, to Yeah. And we ended up at 10 to 15. Yeah. We might, we might dial it back, but you know, who are we getting? We're us. Yeah. Um, we digress. But uh, what those are is, you know, since we record episodes a couple of weeks in advance, we get a chance to listen to them before they release. And so mm-hmm. we see if there are any jokes we missed out on or um, anything we want to explore more, dig dig into a little bit yeah. more, you know, things like that. Absolutely. So we record that special Patreon exclusive postscript that usually releases the same day as the episode it follows. 
So if you want access to those bonuses, be sure to join the Fellowship of the Podcast. We also want to take a minute to thank those of you who've already joined. You really are helping to make this show even better. And let's not forget a very special shout out to Maya in Michigan and Jason in British Columbia, Mm. our patrons at the Kirdan's Contribution Tier. Folks, if you want a personalized shout out on our episodes, now you know where to go. Yeah, and while your support is really appreciated, we do not want you to feel obligated. Uh, That's right. Only support us if you can afford it, and only if you think we've earned it do we want you to consider signing up. Um, Otherwise, just keep listening and keep enjoying the podcast because we'll keep making it. That is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. So, Sean, do we have any questions in Bartleman's bag this time around? We we have a few that we're going to try and get through tonight. Yeah. Uh, actually, I kind of s- knew that. That's that. That's why you know. Yeah. I mean, how often do we actually wrap our discussion up? But you know, a little a little after <laughs> right. an hour. Right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. De- definitely some some fun ones we want to get through. First of all, we've got a priority access question from Mike R in Pennsylvania, which I'm glad we got now because it fits with uh, the recent Halloween festivities. Mm-hmm. Since this episode is releasing just a few days after Halloween. Yeah. Mike wrote in asking. Why did the souls of the slain elves in the dead marshes not go to Valinor? Ooh. So I have an answer for this one that's nice and spooky, uh, and I want to give it. But first, uh, I think we need to go back and look first at the description of the dead marshes uh, that we get in the two towers. Um, And Alan, I want to let you take this one uh, because... Frankly, I, I, I just want to hear your Gollum voice. <laughs> you know, I've been I've been hesitant to, to try to break out the Gollum voice because I think I mentioned this recently. I don't want to do a, uh, uh, an imitation of Andy Serkis. I, I know you don't. He's yeah. nailed it. It's really hard to avoid it, but I'll do really my best to, to give it he some sort of independence. He set the bar so high. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to. Yeah. I just hope to be in the same universe. Um, yeah. Other than that, though, I love this reading, so I can't wait. This is from from Book 4, Chapter 2 of The Two Towers. Uh, Sam falls, and his face almost touches the water in the marshes, and and the the text says, For a moment, the water below him looked like some window, glazed with grimy glass through which he was peering. Wrenching his hands out of the bog, he sprang back with a cry. There are dead things! Dead faces in the water, he said with horror. Dead faces! Frodo says, I know not who they are. But I thought I saw their men and elves and orcs beside them. And Gollum explains. Yes, yes, said Gollum. All dead, all rotten. Elves and men and orcs. The dead marshes. There was a great battle long ago. Yes, so they told him when Smeagol was young. When I was young before the precious came. It was a great battle. Tall men with long swords and terrible elves and orcs is shrieking. But then we get this exchange. But that is an age and more ago, said Sam. The dead can't really be there. Is it some devil rehatched in the Darkland? Who knows? Smeagol doesn't know, answered Gollum. So, Sean, what do you draw from this? <laughs> Besides uh, that, my I, Smeagol needs work. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was a very good start. I, well, I thank you, it. sir. Thank you. I was right there. Um, That's fun. <clears throat> well, so yeah. So back to Mike's question: um, Why did the souls not go to Valinor if they did not go to Valinor? Right. Um, <clears throat> so we know that there are elves' faces there, or mm-hmm. that they see elves' faces, or they see faces, um, and the fact that they're called rotting or rotten suggests that, to me, 
suggests that there's actually bodies lying there in the marsh where they died, and mm-hmm. I think they're I think they're decomposing slowly. I think you know the 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 marsh, uh, or maybe the the evil that lies over the land, but but certainly the the marsh itself uh, could have some embalming effect on the bodies. I mean, you know, there okay. are uh, bog mummies uh, in uh, you know in I think in the north of of Britain. Okay. Um, you know, so I, there, there could actually be bodies there that are decomposing at a slow rate, and so they could actually be seeing faces there. Um, but I'm digressing because that's not the question we were asked. <laughs> we were asked about the souls, not the bodies. But I'm still on you know the Halloween high. Um, <clears throat> I, I would say we don't know for a fact that the elves' souls are there. Um, we know the lights are there and that something very strange is going on. Um, I have to point out that the only explanation we really get for it is from Gollum, and that is not very clear. He's, uh, he's not exactly uh, the most trustworthy you know, person to explain this, I don't think. No. But let's go ahead and assume that the place is haunted by elf souls because, frankly, it's just more fun. Um, you know, there's really not much to explain it in the War of the Rings, uh, which is the the volume of uh, history of Middle Earth that deals with um, the composition of this chapter. Um, all that I found there that was interesting was that uh, Tolkien was inspired uh, to create the scene and you know have these lights shining in the bog um, by this folklore idea of will o' the wisps, hmm. which are also called jack o' lanterns. Oh, okay. Is this and, another um, almost likely planned it that way moment? Because they're they're not going to believe us much longer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Wow. Jack-o'-lanterns now. Mm. It's well done. How Sean. convenient. Um, <laughs> how convenient. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people have heard of Will-o'-the-Wisps. Certainly mm-hmm. Will-o'-the-Wisps certainly still has the, the same meaning that it once did, although Jack-o'-lantern has kind of become something very different. True. But um, but uh, these were lights that were seen in bogs and marshes uh, that were explained as uh, elemental spirits or fairies or uh, or the like. And mm-hmm. um I would say, although Tolkien was inspired by these, and he actually did use the phrase will-o'-the-wisp in those early drafts, um, he also called them corpse candles early on, uh, which is a folk term for the same phenomenon seen in a graveyard. I'm just picturing like like a birthday cake, except it's a dead body with a bunch of candles. Who's going to blow that out? Ew. Oh, man. That's (laughs) awful. Terrible image. It's great, but it's awful. Um, (laughs) Boy, sorry, um, I didn't mean yeah, to throw I mean, you off. <laughs> no, that's fine. It, I, I love it. it it's, it's exactly the kind of gruesome thing. Happy I'm death for day um, to you. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, so yeah, he was he was definitely thinking of them as associated with the dead very early on. Yeah, you know, yeah. calling them these corpse candles. Um, Anyway, I just wanted to share all that stuff because of the time of year. In reality, <laughs> uh, the answer to Mike's question uh, is found. In Laws and Customs Among the Eldar, uh-huh. in Morgoth's Ring, Man, I where love we that find essay. this. Yeah, yeah. So we find this passage in there. The Fea, and remember, uh, that's the soul of the elves. Oh, yeah, we haven't talked the about Fea that in a is, while. We have not talked about it in a while, which is why I wanted to go ahead and define it for anybody who's maybe yeah. just picked up at The Hobbit. Um, the, sometimes we'll use the word Fea and Hroa. Fea is the soul of elves. Yeah, or Fear would be the, the plural. The, the body. Yeah. Right. Fear and Hroar would be the plural. Um, so in this passage, uh, Tolkien says, The Fea is single, and in the last, impregnable. It cannot be brought to Mandos. It is summoned, and the summons proceeds from just authority, and is imperative, yet it may be refused. Tolkien goes on to say that uh, elves of the Avari kindreds actually frequently refuse the summons, mm-hmm. but, um, but that the Eldar, uh, at least we can infer, that the Eldar generally did not, except that he does say later, he says, 
But it would seem that in these afterdays more and more of the elves, be they of the Eldalia in origin or be they of other kinds, who linger in Middle-earth, now refuse the summons of Mandos and wander houseless in the world, unwilling to hmm. leave it and unable to inhabit it, haunting trees or springs or hidden places that once they knew. Not all of these are kindly or unstained by the shadow. Indeed, the refusal of the summons is in itself a sign of taint. Mm-hmm. So, if there were spirits of elves uh, there on the plain of, of Dagorlad, that what became the Dead Marshes, um, if they, if, you know, if those those elves had died there, mm-hmm. uh, those spirits would actually have been summoned back to the halls of Mandos upon death. But they don't go back automatically. They have a choice to stay or to leave. Um, sometimes the spirits do linger, and it could be hmm. um, that some of those who died in that battle died unwilling to leave. And so I would say if there, if there are elf souls there, I would say that would be an explanation for them. Hmm. What do you think? Well, you, you, you kind of took away my phone when you said if, because I thought you were landing that there were. Uh, if you did, then oh, no. the, well, <laughs> this might be where, where those listeners who want us to disagree, they might finally have gotten their wish, because I, I don't... I, remember that according to the laws and customs of the Eldar, that, that you know, and you touched on this, that the refusal to, of the summons... I, I'm, I'll, I'll put out there that I think it's fun to believe that they oh, okay. actually are there. Okay. So, yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying if, but I, I'm on the side of they are. Okay. So you can still have your fun with oh, me. Oh, good, good. Now I can, now I can <laughs> disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> All right, so you, you touched on this earlier. The, the refusal of the summons to Mandos in the Halls of Waiting is frequent among those who decline the invitation of the Valar to Amon. We're talking about the Avari, the, the Dark Elves, uh, or the, um, you know, the, the, not the Elves of the Light, not the Eldar. So right. right after that, though, we learned that refusal was rare when Sauron was in Arda. Now, you talked about that, that is true. in these after days, more and more of the Elves who linger now refuse the summons. When Tolkien's saying that, he's talking about the now. He's talking about elves who are still around. He's not talking about when Sauron was around. In fact, he says specifically um, that when Sauron was around and, and Morgoth before him, then the Fea unbodied would flee in terror of the shadow to any refuge, unless it were already committed to the darkness and passed then into its dominion. So then mm-hmm. these elves that catch. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the elves that fought in the last alliance were not Avari, who maybe would, would be prone to refusing the summons. And nor were these corrupt elves under the dominion of the shadow. These were no. These that were, is, yeah, 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 that's true. They 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 would not have been. I mean, they're the exact opposite. Right. Yeah. They were. They were these were high elves under the command of Gilgalad. So you know, um, I yeah. have a, a hard time buying the notion that after giving their lives in the last alliance, they would somehow refuse the summons because that would mean refusing to be rehoused. So I tend to think that these are elf bodies rotting in the bogs, and that these uh, these lights, these corpse candles, <laughs> are mere tricks of Sauron. But we also get this from that same exchange that you had me read earlier, and I really found this intriguing. Back when Sam asks Gollum if this is some devil rehatched in the dark land, Gollum admitted he didn't know, but then he offers this chilling detail. (laughs) You cannot reach them. You cannot touch them. We tried once. Yes, precious. I tried once, but you cannot reach them. Only shapes to see, perhaps, not to touch. No precious, all dead. Aha, you cannot reach them, you cannot touch them. So perhaps they didn't even see elf bodies, just some evil illusion of death, the the vision of faces under the water. I mean, look, if, if Gollum went into the bogs to try to touch these dead bodies, well, presumably to scrape anything of value out of their pockets, um, and, and <laughs> yeah, couldn't no actually touch them, yeah. it seems to me... 
that, that makes them more of an illusion, a, a granted a disturbing and evil illusion, but an illusion nonetheless. So I think if I had to pick a place to land, I'd actually say, at least with the elves, that even the bodies are an illusion. Now, wow. maybe, but if there are bodies, they're only bodies. Again, because Gollum couldn't reach them. They're not, he couldn't, they're there. Yeah. He can see them, but then it's like a 3D projection. Yeah. He puts his hands through them and they're gone. Yeah. So that um, could be. That could be. But there I'm are a couple not done. of different possibilities to choose from. I'm not done. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, I, I mean we All can right, we can banter that about, but I think you'll like where I'm going next. Because look, if it's got to be elves, I have a thought. In Unfinished Tales, um, Appendix B of the uh, the section on Galadriel and Celeborn, we get some insight into Legolas' grandfather, the uh, isolationist Sindarin elf Orifer. Now. We learn that when he led his people to the Last Alliance, they refused to place themselves under the command of Gilgalad. They were also described as being ill-equipped with armor or weapons in comparison to the Eldar. So, you know, mm. Orifer's killed in the very first assault on Mordor. The text tells us that he was rushing forward at the head of his most doughty warriors before Gilgalad had given the signal for the advance. So here's a, a rebellious elf who didn't like the Noldor. He resented the intrusions of Celeborn and Galadriel. He didn't like mm. the dwarves. And when he showed up for battle, he showed up ill-equipped and undisciplined. So given that, if we have to land on that there are real elf spirits in the marshes, they belong to Orifer and his folk. I, I can almost see him saying, sorry, Mandos, if those Noldor are there getting rehoused, we don't want any part of them. We'll stay right here in the swamp. <laughs> I, I will choose eternity here yeah. rather than go Deal back with, those with Noldor. that guy. Yeah. I'm not spending... The life of Arda with that with, guy. With Gilgalad, that terrible Noldor <laughs> yeah. guy. <laughs> you know, and, and if that's the case, that sure could explain movie Thranduil's nasty attitude, too. That's <laughs> sort of <laughs> that bitter, just angry man, angry pretty man. Was his dad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> that's that's a that's a good find. And that I I would say that that certainly gives us a group of elves who are of the Adalie, uh-huh, Eldalie, yeah. so that you know fits into that group that that is suggested that uh, more of these elves did that in these later days. And, mm-hmm. and you're right, there probably weren't too many doing it when Sauron was around. Right. Um, and later days could just mean you know even later days could even mean in our time. That's true. Um, but uh, but it certainly gives us a group of elves that could satisfy that condition, and it it gives us a, a sad story of unwilling soldiers who. Died young, had some unresolved issues they had to deal with, and <laughs> man, that's got all the hallmarks, hallmarks of a great ghost story right there. We know that sometimes in Middle Earth, entire armies of dead guys sometimes hang around waiting to deal with uh, that, unresolved issues. That is true. That is true. Excellent. So, I had really enjoyed that so, spooky sort of Halloweeny question. Good one. That was a that was a, a very fun one, even though we landed in different places. Oh, uh, some really good. Which options is rare, there. folks. Enjoy that while it lasts. I, I know. I know. <laughs> So thank you for that one, Mike. Um, We also got a question from Oscar in Stockholm, Sweden. Mm -hmm. Oscar writes in, Eriador was, at the time of Elendil and a millennium after, obviously densely populated and wealthy. But around year 3000, it was almost empty, apart from the Shire, Bree, and Rivendell. Why? Hmm. The plague and the Witch King of Angmar were both over 1,500 years ago, so the population should have bounced back as populations in our world did. Um, and then he, he gives an historical example of uh, Eastern Anatolia under the Byzantine Empire, which um, suffered kind of plague, war, and centuries of raiding, but then bounced back a few hundred years later. Hmm. Um, 
He says, uh, since the Shire and Bree have survived, there don't seem to be many monsters wandering about. The Barrow Whites were bound to their graves, and the old forest was also restricted. So why didn't some humans resettle Eriador? Uh, didn't Tharbad, the, the settlement of Tharbad, survive into Bilbo's time? Hmm. Well, um, Oscar's referring to, to help our, the rest of our listeners to some of the timeline in Appendix A and B to The Lord of the Rings. Um, let's go over some of those numbers. The plague mm-hmm. came to Eriador in Third Age 1636-1637. Now, going back a bit, the Witch King of Angmar first arose in 1409, but the battles in that area lasted all the way until 1980 uh, when the Witch King went back to Mordor. Uh, it's it's weird, by the way, when the years are in the 19s and 2000s because it makes me feel like, <laughs> right, really, that happened yeah. in 1980? Man, in, like, yeah, that, I remember that, man. That was a, <laughs> I mean, that really? was a good year. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been a very good year, uh, especially if the Witch King goes back to Mordor. But that's still, that's not quite <laughs> a thousand years before The Hobbit takes place. Now, now, right. now, Tharbad was a town built around a ford across the River Grey Flood. Now, it was inhabited long after the fall of Arnor and even its successor kingdoms, uh, you know, Rudar right, and all of that. those, uh, and, mm-hmm, and well into right. the waning of Gondor. But in Unfinished Tales, we get a real strong suggestion that in the latter days, it was populated by Dunlendings, uh, and that after the days of the kings, they ceased, in fact, to be subjects of Gondor uh, until the town was finally abandoned in 2912 due to floods in the surrounding regions. Okay, so 2912, mm-hmm. that, that actually is very that's late. Very that's very only. That's just. Uh, I'm thinking that's about 25, 30 years. years yeah, 29 years. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, frankly, people probably weren't quite ready to go back there yet. The disaster had been. Yeah, that makes sense. Really too recent. I mean, it has only been a generation. Um, you know, as for the rest of Eriador, there's a passage in Appendix A that gives us some clues as to what was going on. Um, I'll go ahead and read that. When the North Kingdom ended, the Dunedain passed into the shadows and became a secret and wandering people. And their deeds and labors were seldom sung or recorded. Little now is remembered of them since Elrond departed. Although even before the watchful peace ended, evil things again began to attack Eriador, or to invade it secretly, the chieftains for the most part lived out their long lives. Aragorn I, it is said, was slain by wolves, that would have been 2327, uh, which ever after remained a peril in Eriador and are not yet ended. In the days of Arahad I, this is going to be about 150 years later, the orcs who had, as later appeared, long been secretly occupying strongholds in the Misty Mountains so as to bar all the passes into Eriador, there's something right there, to bar all the passes, suddenly mm-hmm. revealed themselves. And later, in the days of Arasuel, uh, this would be another, like another 250 years after uh, Arahad, so about 400 years after Aragorn I, Orcs, multiplying again in the Misty Mountains, began to ravage the lands, and the Dunedain and the Sons of Elrond fought with them. It was at this time that a large band came so far west as to enter the Shire and were driven off by Bandabris Took. And that, of course, is when the game of golf was invented in 2747, a little less than 200 years before our story begins. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, so Eriador was really continually mm-hmm. beset, wasn't it? I mean, there were... really was. There were wolves coming through there. Yep. There were orcs coming through there. Multiple times there were, for the orcs, uh, yeah. Yeah, multiple times. Uh, there were orcs blocking the passes yep. uh, into uh, into the into Eriador. Uh, there were Dunlendings, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we know that they- They uh, weren't exactly friendly were to men. pretty savage, Well, to, yeah. the, to, the, to the men um, of Gondor, I should say, because they are men. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, they were raiders, you know, yeah. bandits, things like that. Yeah. Um, and and that was all going up until really very soon very before soon. Mm-hmm. 
the start of events that we know from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I'm just, you know, we're, we're always... We're always reminded that uh, Middle Earth in the Third Age is in a this general state of decline. That's right. You know, the forces of good are just um, civilization is constantly waning. The shadow is constantly growing. Yeah. Oh, that's a very um, medieval thing. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, that's absolutely. medieval yeah. literature. That's the good times were before. They're not ahead of us. They were in the past. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they're they're looking back to the classical period that, you know, again, yeah. all the all the enter your work, these beautiful buildings that, yeah. you know, nobody has the nobody can build these anymore. To build right. anymore. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like there there was just civilization was constantly on the wane. Right. And so there just really had not been enough time. There really wasn't an opportunity yeah, for people to to resettle because there was just continual raiding. And um, I, I know a little bit about um, the Byzantine Empire, the mm-hmm. example that Oscar uh, that Oscar gives. Um, I don't know enough to know, you know, how different that is from, you know, actual history in our world. But True. certainly, I mean, you could see where a, 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 you know, a, a region that is continually beset by raiders and bandits and monsters yeah. <laughs> you know maybe people yeah. wouldn't want to go back there yeah I, that's certainly where i'd land uh, you know mm-hmm. simply put the world of men was shrinking there were fewer and fewer safe places for them to establish residence yep yep i agree well uh that was another good one so thank you oscar for that one and uh and again thanks again to mike for a very well-timed spooky ghost question that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast. As always, we thank you very much for joining us. Now, be sure to join us again next week when we see the epic battle between Gandalf and the Great Goblin. <laughs> epic battle? You mean Flash slash dead? That'll do it. <laughs> Folks, we want to... <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was, you know, I tried. It, it's, it's pretty hard to get an entire character into three three words. Um, that that was for those of you who didn't catch it a reference to the film when uh, when the Goblin King does die um, when, when Gandalf slashes mm-hmm. in there at the end. So, folks, we want to encourage you all to read along uh, and take notes in your copy of The Hobbit, like we do. So, please check out the official library tab on our website, theprancingponypodcast.com. Whether you want inexpensive paperbacks or you want the really good stuff for your Tolkien shelf, we've got the links. We got the really good stuff. Um, and if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Those reviews help us get mm-hmm. more visibility in iTunes, and that in turn translates to a bigger and a, a more vibrant Tolkien community. And thanks to those of you who have, by the way. We keep seeing new ones pop mm-hmm. up, and we're so grateful for them. We we read every single one of them, uh, and we've even found a way to read the ones from overseas because you know they, they normally don't show up in our iTunes store. Uh, that's been encouraging. Mm-hmm. So we do get to, to read all of them, and we really do appreciate all the, the nice things that you say about us, even if we don't believe in our <laughs> Um Now, make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony podcast by subscribing to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us in most any podcast directory. And be sure to check out the podcast app uh, if you have an iPhone uh, or an iDevice. Uh, in iOS 11 as it supports our new season and episode tags. And we want to thank all of you who have become part of our social media family. We set out to start a Tolkien conversation that everyone could join, which is why we have the online common room on Facebook at The Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or directions to your nearest post office to Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com. Now that is our new email address, so be sure to take note Barlaman at theprancingponypodcast.com and we'll try to get those questions into our next episode. Well, almost an hour and a half, it's still far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends.